0: From seven days of the week to the seven wonders of the world, culture is shaped by sevens, and the all-electric BMW i7 is no exception. Be welcomed in with automatic opening doors. Shape your experience behind the wheel with a curved display, or recline
1: in the back seat and escape into the 31-inch theater screen. Reshape the way you drive in the redefining all-electric BMW i7. BMW, the ultimate electric driving
2: machine. See your local BMW center today for a test drive. and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal, Managing Editor at Bloomberg Markets.
1: And I'm Tracy Alloway, Executive Editor at Bloomberg Markets.
2: So Tracy, it's the middle of August and it's about time for a fun summer episode, don't you think?
1: Yes. I think it is. It, you know, everyone's on holiday. People are thinking about going to nice places with beaches and pools. Uh, let's let's give the people what they want.
2: Exactly right. Um, you know, obviously, summer is characterized by pools, hanging out by the pool, uh, barbecuing, grilling, stuff like that. And, of course, there's always a market and economic angle to every story. And so today, we're going to talk about these things that we take for granted in the summer. And... Uh, Talk about some of the underlying fundamentals behind them.
1: So, this is essentially the market edition of the Pool Party, or the Pool Party edition of the markets Thoughts podcast, I should say.
2: We're here with uh, Polly Mossens, who wrote a great story. Um, for Bloomberg recently about uh, pool toys. And before we get into it, I think pretty much anyone who goes on Instagram regularly sees lots of pictures of people floating in pools in these gigantic inflatable donuts or inflatable swans or inflatable flamingos. Uh, You certainly see them if you follow Taylor Swift on Instagram. And of course, there is a huge uh, business behind that and a lot of money. And we're going to talk to Polly about that business. So Polly Mossens of Bloomberg, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. I would love to talk about pool toys.
2: Great. Let's get right into it. So (laughs) why... Why is this? How did this become such a huge thing? How big is this business?
0: It is huge. When I was at the New York Toy Fair earlier this year, which was the dead of winter, it was snowing outside. Inside the Javits Center, they had a huge pool toy display. It was the first thing you saw when you walked into Toy Fair. There was a flamingo oh that was 10 feet high. Oh, wow. It was beautiful and cost, I believe, $400, which is quite the investment <laughs> for an inflatable pool toy that can pop at any moment.
2: Okay, but think of all the likes on Instagram if you have a 10 foot inflatable. Uh, flamingo.
0: That's exactly right. So about two summers ago, you started seeing them come up on Instagram, but it really became the thing to have when Taylor Swift, when she was still with Calvin Harris, R.I.P. that relationship, she posted <laughs> a picture of her on a really beautiful gigantic swan slash Pegasus. It was very regal looking. It had a golden wings. People were obsessed with it, and that's really where a lot of these things took off. And you had a couple companies that really became like the and go-to companies. The biggest one among them is Big Mouth Inc. They make about $20,000 a day on Amazon just off their inflatable donut.
1: One style,
0: $20,000 a day.
1: Wait, this is the the pink donut. It looks kind of like the ones that Homer Simpson used to eat in the TV series, right? And everyone's probably seen it at one point or another.
0: That is the exact donut.
2: $20,000 a day.
0: 20000 a day. That's a lot of money. Dollars. Yeah. And that's just off the donut. They have some other really popular items. Their giant pineapple has been huge for them this year. They have a flamingo whose design they've actually copyrighted. It's different from other flamingo floaties. So you can imagine how much money they're pulling in off of these floaties during the summer.
1: Okay. So with large amounts of money often comes uh, controversy and conflict and competition as other people try to get in on the act. And the donut in particular seems to have attracted uh, some degree of conflict. Walk us through that.
0: Yeah. So Big Mouth Inc., which is the big kahuna of floaties, they have found people infringing on their copyright, specifically on the donut. And they found this on Amazon. They started ordering competitors' donuts that they were trying to sell off as Big Mouth products. And when they arrived, they were were flimsier material and perhaps most offensively instead of having 12 colors of sprinkles they only had four.
2: Oh my god that's, not... <laughs> that's, that's terrible horrific
1: it <coughs> is it's embarrassed to instagram myself with a donut without 12 <laughs> colors of sprinkles and the sprinkles weren't even
0: shaded in so they didn't look 3d <gasps> oh
2: my god shock. Yeah. Uh, So what did they do when they discovered this?
0: Well, this was part of two lawsuits that they filed, one against an Amazon seller called Floating Panda and another against Amazon seller Solo Fleet. They didn't have their real identities, so they just filed two suits in Connecticut against these Amazon identities. And the lawsuits that Big Mouth brought basically focused on copyright infringement and a version of fraud. They were claiming that these Amazon sellers were selling Big Mouth counterfeit products under the Big Mouth cereal code on Amazon. Mm. So they were trying to just slip them in as real products after they actually infringed on their copyrighted designs.
2: Now, does Amazon have any responsibility here? I mean, it's one thing if the donut looks like another donut, but if if a competitor, as Big Mouth claims, is using their serial code... Is Amazon a totally neutral party here?
0: Well, Amazon does have fraud protection in place, but they have to have really stringent fraud protections that kind of are a process. Mm. Because otherwise, you'd have a bunch of people that are just filing complaints against their competitors because they didn't want them selling a legitimate product that was vaguely similar. So they have to have the product ordered, they have to prove that it's counterfeit, and then they can file a valid complaint with Amazon, and Amazon can take away those products. And Big Mouth did do that, but they finally were very fed up after these two. Competitors had taken their buy box on Amazon. The buy box is when you go to checkout on Amazon, you press buy now, and there's always a default seller. So there can be, you know, 10 different companies that sell the same floaty that's vaguely similar, but whoever has that buy box is the one who's getting all the sales. And if Floating Panda started undercutting Big Mouth by just one penny on the price instead of a $20 floaty $19.99, they would take over that buy box. And that's what happened. And that's when Big Mouth started losing $20,000 a day on the donut?
1: So this is where I think it gets really interesting because we talk a lot about the importance of Amazon right now, the dominance of Amazon uh, in markets and in business. And the idea that people's business is built around what goes into the buy box and they can win or lose so much money just based on one Amazon algorithm is pretty significant. Is cost the only thing that Amazon looks at when it It, comes to the buy box? It's more
0: elaborate than just cost. There's ratings that go in there, and there's kind of a secret Amazon formula that they're never going to disclose in full. But it is also based on what kind of seller you are. You know, if you had all one star, but you're selling $0.99 products, you're probably not going to make it into the buy box. But if you look like a fairly legitimate seller, and you're selling a a less expensive product that Amazon believes to be the exact same thing, you might find yourself in the buy box, and then you you're getting a ton of sales all at
3: once.
2: Uh, so what's happening now? They filed these complaints, they filed these suits. Has Amazon done anything yet, or it, can I, uh, are the competitors to Big Mouth still right there? Well,
0: in this particular suit, they didn't file it against Amazon. So Amazon did definitely help them with taking down pictures that they thought were being used to sell products that weren't actually Big Mouth products. Amazon has replied to the complaints, but legally, they don't have to do anything here. What did happen is that one of these Amazon sellers came back to Big Mouth after receiving the lawsuit and said, give me a week to sell through my product and you'll never hear from me again. And big mouth said you know that's not a bad deal they because their whole goal here is to make this problem go away they don't want to fight every single person who's selling floaties on amazon and they understand that competition is out there and they certainly don't want to bring these lawsuits i mean they've had to actually put two people on staff out of a 22 person office just to police amazon so for them they just want this to go away and that's really the next legal step here so what happened with the other company They've not replied to the lawsuit, which isn't surprising. They don't believe that these sellers are in the United States, so it's a little harder to track them down. And from mm-hmm. there, a judge can make a ruling on the case, but you never know if there's actually going to be any money collected, especially when this is a $4 million collection of lawsuits.
2: I kind of love that response from the one company, which is basically like, yeah, you're right. We're kind of ripping you off, <laughs> but let us just be in business one more week so we can clear out our inventory and make back our costs and we'll leave. It's like a very sort of um. Free market Kosian uh, response to dealing with a legal problem, and it is kind of win-win. Seems much better than a long protracted legal fight.
0: Absolutely, and you don't really want to be left with a warehouse full of
1: floaties, right? Can't blame them. But think of the Instagram potential. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. In your warehouse full of flamingos and donuts.
2: Before we go, there's a fascinating story. What's the big uh, What's the big floaty this year?
0: I think the big floaty is the swan. The swan is a really big deal. It's beautiful. I personally enjoy laying on my swan. I have like five (laughs) floaties. I feel somewhat biased writing this story because I'm really into floaties.
2: Are they all the Big Mouth brand floaties? They're not. They're they're a
0: variety of floaties, including I bought one on Amazon that was kind of crappy, but it was like $7. So, you know, you have to have a weird one in there.
2: Polly Mussens from Bloomberg, thank you very much. This is fascinating. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to look at an Instagram pool floating picture ever again <laughs> the same way.
0: Thank you guys for having me. Uh,
2: well, Tracy, so that was half the summer. Half the summer is about spending time in pools. And as we said in the beginning, the other half of the summer is about grilling and barbecuing.
1: Of course. Of course it is. Uh, So what's essential to uh, grilling? Well, obviously
2: meat. And the good news is that at least in the U.S. this year, there is a meat mountain. There is so much meat out there that the price of ribs and beef and pork and everything else has plunged, (laughs) making it really cheap to... uh, to do barbecue this summer
1: okay so summer has essentially gone on sale because we have inflatable pool toy makers trying to undercut each other and then we have super cheap meat prices i love it summer
2: on sale it's like i think that should be the title of this episode (laughs) all right so with us now to discuss the meat mountain and uh super cheap uh meat products is lydia mulvaney she's a reporter here at bloomberg who covers agriculture uh lydia thank you very much for joining us
3: hi thanks
2: Uh, So, Lydia, why is there a mountain of meat?
3: Oh, there's so much meat. Um, It's because there's been a kind of a perfect storm where, like, chicken producers and hog producers and cattle producers, they're all expanding their herds at the same time, and... uh, There were um, some record prices for those um, for meat a a couple of years ago, even last year for beef, and those high prices just made everyone um, go crazy and and expand their and expand their flocks and herds, and so um, now we have um, like all three important meats, you know, a lot of it at the same time. And so they're all kind of competing with each other at the store. And and the result is really um, uh, big discounts compared to uh, previous years. And actually, a lot of them are at uh, like multi-year lows for the prices.
2: Uh, I love it. I mean, you know, it's the cliche in commodities, right, that high prices are the cure for high prices. We saw it. Obviously, with the multi-year oil boom and then there was so much expansion of drilling and exploration and then the price of oil crashed. So it sounds like the essentially the same thing happened here, except with uh, uh, the meat market.
3: Yeah. but uh, And I, I don't think that they necessarily all happen at the same time where it's like chicken pork and meat doing this at the same, or ch- chicken pork and beef doing this at the same time. But at this point. You know, it's all three markets, and so the total meat supplies are going to be a record for, uh, for sure uh, this year. And then, um, so there's really cheap grain prices right now too. So, so it's even cheaper for producers to produce meat. Um, so, there's a lot of uh, people out there saying that this isn't going to stop. It's just going to it's going to go for a couple of years. Um, there's going to be this expansion, and so should have pretty good barbecue prices next summer, too, and maybe even the next one.
1: I remember, you know, just a couple years ago, we were talking about uh, global demand for meat really taking off, especially in places like China. And it's kind of surprising to see that supply has been raised so much that it's offsetting what was supposed to be a big increase in in demand.
3: Yeah. So um, because of the prices um, in the U.S., uh meat consumption grew the most in in 40 years or some some very large number uh in 2015 so americans are pretty close to like peak meat eating so we can't actually eat all the meat that's going to be produced in this country. Um, so it really needs to go to these other countries. Um, and, and yes, there is like rising uh, meat consumption, but um, you know there's other producers that work, that um, you know are competing with the U.S. So um, uh, I think it needs to be seen what happens. I mean, it, basically, if 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 you know China and, all, and other emerging countries aren't going to absorb you know, the overflow from the U.S., that's just going to mean it's going to back up here and be even cheaper.
1: So Joe mentioned a potential parallel with the U.S. shale boom in terms of supply rising really quickly to take advantage of higher prices a couple years ago. Was there any technology Mm -hmm. involved in the
3: um, supply growth in meat? I don't think it's a specific technology, but... Um, producers are always working on you know breeding more efficiently and getting the genetics right um, i think for for pigs, like pigs have way more piglets today than they used to
1: so joe 's a very keen barbecuer. Can you recommend one specific meat that 's the best bargain
3: at the moment that ooh, you should yeah. be grilling next weekend
2: that 's a great question
3: ooh, best bargain well hmm, so in terms of Things that were expensive last year, but cheap this year. Right,
2: like what's really, I should take That would a, be beef. Beef is really, what's cheaper? What are we talking about? Well, just for like, it's
3: still expensive compared to like pork, right. but it's way cheaper than it was last year. So if you're looking for that discount, that would be it. But I guess, you know, chicken and pork are just really... They're really down there. Maybe maybe ribs. ribs oh yeah,
2: be I, I've been there. I've been smoking a lot of ribs this summer. I need to actually take a ribs break.
3: Actually, you know, like pulled pork is every. Oh, that's not a barbecue item. Never mind.
2: No 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 no. no definitely. Uh, I could. But definitely. maybe you can
3: put like pulled pork on your burger. I don't know. I don't know what people do these days. Before we
2: go, how much of a just I realize we haven't hit it. How much of a disc a price crash are we talking about specifically from the wholesale perspective? How much have prices gone down?
3: Okay, so, so for for beef, it's about uh, 15% from last year, and pork is about the same. Chicken's about 20% cheaper on the wholesale, like chicken breasts. Um, so, you know, and that's from last year, and there's, you know, for, for pork and, and chicken, like, they've been going down for, like, a couple years, so this is actually after... Some pretty significant um, discounts. So those and those are like multi-year lows. They're like five, six-year lows for the price.
2: Well, it seems pretty clear that this is a good summer to have gotten into doing barbecuing, and with any luck, perhaps not for the farmers, uh, the the summers ahead will be uh, inexpensive as well. Yeah. Well, Lydia Mulvaney of Bloomberg News, thank you very much for joining us thank and uh, telling us the good news about meat prices. Thanks so much. So, Tracy, you know, obviously the theme of that episode was summer. But as you pointed out, another one of the themes was falling prices. And we Mm -hmm. sort of uh, explored multiple ways in which uh, the Fed is being challenged in trying to hit its inflation target. One is about (laughs) technology and how new markets make price competition extremely easy and liquid. And the other is just about falling core commodity prices and these gluts that we're seeing all over the world that don't seem to be going in, away anytime soon.
1: Well, you're taking this episode very seriously. <laughs> no, I, I didn't expect to. Thing. I thought it was just going to be I the sum. I was some... going to talk about the floats and oh. which one I was going to buy. All right. Well, so go to you. You
2: can talk about that.
1: No, no, no. Uh, well, the thing I I was very interested in was. Um, Well, the inflation aspect of it is a big, big question, especially in light of technology. And actually, here we go. Okay, just to link the two, I wonder a lot about the role of a company like Amazon in inflation. Because it seems, in some respects, like Amazon is really a benevolent um, monopoly for consumers, right? It's super cheap. It's very efficient. We can buy cheap inflatable pool toys. We can even buy uh, groceries and meat nowadays off of Amazon. And that's great for consumers, but it means low prices, obviously low inflation. And I wonder about the, I suppose, challenges for businesses in that environment.
2: Totally. I mean, if you could theoretically gain a quasi-monopoly by dominating the buy box uh, Mm. with a one-cent decrease in price... Uh, Now, obviously, as Polly pointed out, it's not quite that simple. But if just this minor price cut can create this radical competition dynamic, the likes of which you wouldn't, you know— if the if you're talking about physical retail, one cent price cut isn't yeah. enough to make you go to a different store. It's hardly it
1: never would have existed right. ten or twenty years ago.
2: So it is really fascinating um, the dynamics there, and I'm also fascinated by the extent to which something like Instagram can drive a whole new category of industry, which people would have never imagined. Yeah um
1: absolutely i would i would go long instagram props just at this moment in time right
2: yeah uh, i'll i'll keep i'll keep uh watching out on taylor swift's instagram to see what the next big thing that she uh, posted with <laughs>
1: okay all right are you barbecuing this weekend i am
2: and i don't know what i'm gonna do yet but i'm thinking pulled pork actually so i'll uh on the next episode i'll uh, i'll talk about how that goes excellent all right, well this has been another edition of the Odd Lots Podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Joe Wisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at the Stalwart.
1: And I'm Tracy Alloway. I'm on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. Thanks for listening.
2: The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let The Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.